Good evening. I appreciate the good singing tonight and what a joy it is to be able to be together. Study another portion of God's holy word. If you have a copy of it, we invite you to open it. If you would please to the book of Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll be looking at some lessons to be gleaned from this great chapter in the word of God. And as you're turning there, let me just say, let's continue to pray for our young uh, men as they're away on, their, on the chisel. Uh, 48 hours of intense uh, activities for spiritual growth. And also to pray for our young ladies as they will be having uh, uh, their time, 48 hours as well, uh, for the SCULPT program. So we're grateful for that. So David and, and Philip and the interns and the others of our congregation are involved in that tonight. So I'm grateful for the opportunity and for the privilege of being able to share with you again from the Word of God. And those of you that are guests, we're honored. We really are. We're just grateful to have guests to come our way to worship the Lord with us and to be able to see what we have here at Mount Juliet because we're just a group of people trying to love the Lord and trying to love each other and be what God would have us to be. And we hope you'll come back and be a part of that on every occasion that you possibly can. Tonight, Luke chapter number 19. A story is told about a local uh, fitness center and they were offering $1,000 to anyone who could demonstrate that they were stronger than the owner of the fitness center. And here's how it worked. This muscle man, what he would do, he challenged everyone. He would take a lemon, half of a lemon, he would squeeze it with all of his might till all of the juice would run into a glass. And then he would hand that to the challenger and the challenge was this. If anyone can squeeze three more drops of juice, you will win $1,000. For a number of weeks, a lot of people took that challenge. Weightlifters, construction workers, even a professional football player, but nobody, they might get one drop, but no one could squeeze three drops of juice out of that lemon. One day, short, skinny, runt of a guy. He walks in, he says, I wanna sign up for that contest. Well, everybody was kind of laughing and after the laughter died down, the owner grabbed the lemon. He said, okay, the challenge is on. He grabbed that lemon, that old muscle man. He squeezed it with everything he had, all of his might and all of his power. And he handled the little wrinkled remains to the little fella and the laughter stopped. It turned silent. Little skinny guy began by exercising his fingers a little bit and his hands and he'd clench and make a fist. He took that lemon and he squeezed it. Oh. Three drops, four drops, five drops of juice. Everybody, were, they were amazed. He handed it to the fellow and said, hey, a deal's a deal, son. He said, you rightfully did it. Let me give you $1,000. He said, but after the cheers of the crowd began to cease, he said, I've got to ask you, man, what in the world do you do? Are you a lumberjack? What in the world do you do? And the man replied, no, I work for the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you read a couple years ago about a, a letter that was actually sent to the IRS. Here's a letter. Enclosed, you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax last year. I have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I will send you the rest. 
Well, we've said all of that because when you come to Luke chapter number 19, the word of God says in verse one that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. You see, in this great chapter of the word of God, Jesus Christ is passing through Jericho on his final trip to Jerusalem. And there we find an individual that he comes in contact with by the name of Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Understand something, during the first century, a tax collector, man, he was working for the Roman government. In other words, he would be an individual that would raise money from his own people and he would support the very government that had overrun his homeland. See, this individual would be looked upon and considered to be a traitor. He would be looked upon as a, a betrayer by the Jewish people. Now, in addition to that, the tax collectors, they were looked upon as, honestly, as being thieves. Because see, here's how it would work. The Roman government would set an amount. This is what you are to bring to us. And whatever that tax collector collected above that amount, it was theirs to keep. So in other words, here's a system that just within itself, it just kind of breeds and invites deceit and deception and taking advantage of other people. So when the word of God says in Luke 19, verse one and two, that here is a tax collector that Jesus comes in contact with on his final trip to Jerusalem. May I suggest to us tonight that this account is far deeper and far greater for us to learn some lessons than just a song to teach during VBS. Great song to teach in VBS, don't get me wrong. About there was a wee little man, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, climbed up into the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Great song, keep teaching it. But I'm saying to us as adults, as men and women of God, then I believe there's some very powerful lessons that we can glean from this great account in the word of God. So tonight, let's try to notice them. First of all, when I look at two through four, verses two through four, I see and I find a searching sinner. Verse two, there was a man named Zacchaeus, was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. See, here's Zacchaeus in our terminology, IRS agent. But I want you to catch something more than that. He was not just an agent. Notice something in verse number two. He was a chief tax collector. Now the word chief adds another dimension to it. Because in reality, the chief tax collector meant he was an individual in charge of all the other agents. And guess what? He was able to take a cut of the commission from those who collected taxes for him. In other words, if you're looking at a pyramid system, he stood at the very peak, at the very apex of that pyramid system. So he was stuffing his pockets before he would send the required amount to Rome. And understand something about Jericho. It was a great place for him to be able to work and perform his services. Because see, people were coming in and out of the city of Jerusalem as they were passing there for the Passover. In fact, Jerusalem was considered to be the, the tax capital, if you will. It was a tax capital because it was the center of vast trade between Damascus and Egypt. So in other words, we would say today that he was in charge of one of the three 
tax offices of the entire country. And more than likely, he had the best job of them all. If you wanted to have a, a tax place, he was the one. So therefore, brethren, when I understand he was a chief tax collector, I'm not surprised at the next phrase. He was rich. When you understand that, then you understand the fact, okay, I'm not surprised, I'm not shocked that he was a wealthy individual. But even though he was wealthy, something was missing. Something was missing in his life because he wanted to see, verse three, who Jesus was. Notice, he did not just want to see who, he did not just want to see Jesus. He wanted to see more than that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. What about this man? What about this one they call the Christ? What about this man that has just given sight to the blind beggar in the very previous chapter, in chapter 18? 35 through 43, Jesus Christ had just given sight to that individual, a blind beggar. And now he says, I want to see who this man is. But he has at least two problems. The first problem is he was short. He couldn't see above everyone else. Now, I don't know about you, when you read this picture, I'm just tell you kind of what I see. I see this little short, rich man. And he's kind of bouncing up and down on his toes like Tigger trying to see above the taller folks so he could see about this man, who he is. And he wasn't dared to start trying to push his way through the crowd. Can you imagine if he'd have pushed his way through the crowd and they'd said, oh, there comes, oh, 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 sorry. Oh, oh, I didn't mean to step on your foot. I mean, it'd been unintentional, right? No, he wasn't about to do that. So what does he do? This short, rich man wanted to see Jesus. And he wasn't going to go through the crowd that way. So he went to a tree, climbed up in it. First problem was short of stature. Second problem, he had a spiritual problem because folks, that's what sin does. Sin separates people from God. How do I know so? Because the Bible teaches me so. Isaiah 59, verse one and two. That the Lord's hand is not shortened that he can and his ear will not hear. He was short. He had a spiritual problem of sin. And this individual, he may have had a very questionable past, but I'm gonna tell you something, brethren, he had a heart with a resourceful spirit. And when I read verse four, he ran ahead, which is kind of amazing, because there are some that would say during that day and time, it would be considered undignified for a rich man to run in the public. So here he is running, and I can see that little short, rich man skimming up a tree to see Jesus. And it tells us that he climbs up and he sees the Lord, and it was a sycamore tree. Not just a tree, a sycamore tree. Notice how specific the Word of God is. See, a sycamore tree would be one of those trees that would have branches that would grow out horizontally. They would grow out horizontally from the trunk, so therefore it would be a great avenue and a great view to be able to see Jesus the Christ. Here's a powerful lesson, brethren. I think we need to learn from this example. Zacchaeus did not allow anything. He did not allow the crowd. He did not allow his condition. He did not allow what others may think about him to stand between him and his great desire. And that desire was, I want to see who Jesus really is. I want to know about this man. 
So therefore, I'm not going to allow anything to deter me and to stop me from doing that. Oh, brethren, isn't that a great attitude we need today? See, the story is more than just a song to be sung at VBS. Here's a desire of your heart and a desire of my heart that we need and people in our country need. A desire that nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to pay the price necessary to be and to see Jesus. So I see a searching sinner. Second thing I see is verse five. I see a seeking savior. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Notice something, Jesus took note of Zacchaeus. Oh, Zach, he looked up after he stopped and he called him by name, Zacchaeus. And he gives a twofold request. The first request is come down. No, not just come down. You come down immediately. My translations, the New King James says, you make haste. Others says, hurry, come down. In other words, he didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, whenever you get tired up there, I want you to just come on down here and, you know, bop on down here and we'll have a little conversation. No, he said, Zacchaeus, you get down here. We would say, you know, way I was brought up, you get down here and you get here now. Don't let any grass be growing under your feet, boy. Get yourself over here and get yourself over here now. That's the attitude that I see here. Jesus says, you make haste, you hurry, you come down. That was his first. Well, doesn't that say something about a sense of urgency that we need to feel and have in following Jesus? Doesn't that say something to us about the sense of urgency of living a life for Christ that others can see your good light and bring honor and glory to the Father of heaven? When I read verse five, brethren, I cannot imagine not reading that and, and reading that and not thinking about, boy, there's an urgency about following Jesus. And I wonder what the crowd was thinking. Can you imagine maybe what were going through their minds? Maybe those that were walking with Jesus at the very time? How does Jesus know his name? And why in the world? Did he stop under that tree? And more than that, why did Jesus want this sinner to come down? Does he not know about this man? He's taking advantage of us. He's charged us far more than he ever should have. And Jesus says to that man of all people, for Jesus to stop and to say, you come down. Why would it be Zacchaeus? Second request, Zacchaeus, you're gonna have a guest tonight. I must stay at your house. Now, Brent, what's interesting about this? This is the only instance in all the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the four gospel accounts, 89 chapters, 3,782 verses. This is the only account where we have Jesus inviting himself to someone's house's home for a meal. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down, you come down now because I must go to your house. Question, why the must? Why didn't he say, hey, Zacchaeus, how about having a little, hey, you got, you got extra room tonight, man? Could I hang out at your house? Could I get a little shut eye with you tonight? You know, I've been traveling, I'm tired, and uh, 
Hey, would that be possible to think? I mean, would you give out would you give out some consideration, please? Would you mind? No, Jesus says, I must. Which adds to the urgency of come down out of that tree now. There was an urgency, and the must is because what Jesus Christ is all about. Verse 10, he came to seek and he came to save that which was lost. There's an urgency, and the must is. It pictures everything about the ministry of Jesus Christ, salvation. I must stay at your house. Brethren, Jesus Christ tasted of death for every man, Hebrews 2, verse 9. Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know why? Because no one is too lost to be saved if they're willing to turn to Jesus in obedience for his will to be done. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one is beyond the power of God for salvation. And when I look at this great text and I see in verse five, I see this seeking savior coming in this tree and making a request to Zacchaeus. No one is too lost for the power of God and the salvation. Third thing I see, verses six through 10. What I find in verses six through 10, when you have a, a searching sinner and a seeking savior, you should see a spectacular salvation, right? Doesn't surprise me. Look at verse six. So he made haste, Ozakius, and he came down and received him joyfully. Wouldn't you like to see, I wish I had this on a DVD or something where I could watch Zacchaeus coming down out of that tree. Wouldn't you? I'd like to see how quick he came out of that tree. Now, I've come out of some trees pretty quick, but it wasn't intentional. How about you? Zacchaeus came out of that tree and the word of God said he made haste. Jesus said, hurry, he hurried. Jesus said, do it quickly, he did it quickly. And notice something else about all of that. He jumped down and I want you to notice the key word in the last part of verse six. Some translation says joyfully, other says gladly. The word there for gladly or joyfully, honestly, brethren, it carries the ideal of jubilant exultation. It carries the thought and the ideal of being overwhelmed with joy. Not that he just came down, well, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time anyway. I won't, you know, I got a few questions. No, he came down with joy. He came down with, with an attitude of, of happiness and excitement. Now, he got more. You remember what he wanted to see? He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, he's getting a little bit more than that. Now, he's more than just a close look at the Savior. Now, he's going to have him as a guest for dinner. See, the Zacchaeus, it's amazing to me, had the exact same response, the exact same reaction as the blind beggar in chapter 18, Verses 35 through 43, when he was told, receive your sight, and he was glorifying God, and he gave praise with joy. Brethren, the truth is tonight, joy is one of the themes in the gospel of Luke. You realize tonight that it's mentioned over 20 times in one form or another? And I just wonder sometimes, what do we need to do? 
What experience we need to have that would make us become individuals that are more filled with gladness and more filled with wonderful praise? Because brethren, we have the best life there is on this earth. Christians redeemed by the blood of the lamb have every reason in the world to have the greatest source of joy and the greatest source of just giving praise unto God than anyone else that exists. Those of us that have been redeemed by that precious blood of the lamb and we have the eternal hope of life in heaven to be with God forever and forever in a place that is so wonderful that it's described the way it is in Revelation 20 and 21. Brethren, I'm saying to us tonight, we have every reason in the world. Yes, we live in a world that is struggling with problems and we have challenges and we have struggles. But brethren, we have the greatest source of strength and we have the greatest reason to have joy and happiness and meaning to our lives. But the sadness is today too often, too often our faces have fallen and our hearts become too heavy and our minds are muddled with the cares and concerns of this world. Brethren, I'm saying to us tonight, brothers and sisters in Christ, when people encountered Jesus in the New Testament, they broke out in joy and gladness and praise. And I'm saying that tonight before God Almighty, we need to be happy people, joyful people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Not only do we have the best life here, we have the best life waiting for us over there. The fact that we can be with God forever and forever and be with all the faithful of God Almighty. What a blessing. Oh, but now look at the contrast. You want to see a contrast? Verse six, we saw the searching sinner. You see what he's doing? He's joyful. Look at verse seven. But, mm, be careful. But when they saw it, that is the people with Jesus, they all murmured and grumbled saying, oh, he is going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. The words actually mean here, they were grumbling low, indicating they're complaining and finding fault with what Jesus was doing. May I suggest to you what Jesus was doing? He was demonstrating the heart of God. He was demonstrating the very heart of Almighty God. And people around about him, what were they doing? Some of them was grumbling and complaining and questioning, what's he doing? What in the world would he go to Zacchaeus for? Doesn't, doesn't he know how bad he is? Doesn't he who know how, how wrong that man has been and the kind of life that he's lived? But then in verse eight, oh, Zacchaeus stood and he said to his Lord, remember a few minutes ago? He wants to see who he is now. He says to his Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. You want to see the fruits of repentance? There it is. Right now, Zacchaeus is indicating, brethren, he's, he's not just sliding by. He's, he's all bought in to being what Christ would have him to do. See, his heart has been changed now he wants to demonstrate that change. He wants his actions to follow, flowing out of a heart of gratitude for what Christ had done for him. And I do not see that verse eight is just a repayment or just a restitution, brethren. I see it as a change of character. That's what conversion is all about, isn't it? Conversion is about a change. He has now come to Jesus and he has changed his way of thinking and now it's going to change his way of acting. 
Biblical repentance, brethren, when we understand that in conversion is a life-changing event. And this man that we began reading about in verse number one is now a changed man. And it's obvious by his attitude. Lord, I want to make everything right. Whatever I've done, I want to make sure that it's right. And when he said that, notice the response of Jesus in verse nine. Today, salvation has come to your house because he also is a son of Abraham, not physically, but spiritually. And then verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Most of us in this auditorium tonight can quote Luke 19.10. For the son of man came and to seek and to save that which was lost. But there's a surprise to me of how many of us realize the context in which it's found is Zacchaeus, a wee little man. He's a prime example of what Jesus taught in verse 10. A man that was a sinner searching for a savior. So when I look at these four, these 10 verses, here's four things, four stages. Four stages that I see that he went through that maybe has direct application to us tonight in our living for God. First of all, we began with a man who was curious. He was curious. Hey, I want to go see about this Jesus. I want to go see who he really is. I just wonder how many people in our community today, your friends, my neighbors, our associates, they're a little bit curious about Jesus. Who is this man really? I've heard he's the savior of the world, but who is he really? How can I get to know him better? And that curiosity led Zacchaeus to be a man who considered the claims of Christ. I believe there's people all over our community tonight. You know what? They need to look at and they need to be able to see the claims of Jesus, that he is Lord. And we need to be the avenue that shares that hope with them. Here, let me tell you about the one who has changed my life. This made a difference for me and in me and through me. And then after he considered the claims of Christ, he was converted. And brethren, that's what we're to be about. The searching Savior saved him, forgave him of his sins. And therefore, the fourth thing is it resulted in a changed life. His life was radically, radically redirected after his conversion. I'm just saying to us, brethren, I believe there's honest, sincere people in our community that they may go through these exact same stages. They're not sure about Jesus. But maybe you are the connecting link with them to share the news about the Savior. To give them the opportunity to investigate the claims of Jesus. And then we pray that their hearts will be changed and they'll be converted. And then one day heaven will be their home with us. You see, brethren, there's people like Zacchaeus. Who would have ever thought Zacchaeus was a prime prospect? <laughs> In fact, these others were even questioning. The ones with Jesus, remember? They were questioning, murmuring, and grumbling. Why him? I mean, there's a lot of other people that would be better than Zacchaeus. And all we want to do is 
make sure that our lives are lived in such a way that the seed, which is the word of the living God, is planted into their hearts and to their lives by our example. And then we pray that God will give us an increase of souls to be added to the kingdom of heaven. See, when I look at Jesus, he knew what his mission was, seek and save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus is a great example of the power of Almighty God in salvation. And when I look at this wonderful story, I realize Jesus is my pattern to follow. That I too need to be looking. But we just cannot wait for a seeker to come knocking on our doors. We look for opportunities searching that we can share Christ and share the hope of eternal life and salvation. So let me ask you to do something. Give thought. Give thought to friends, to coworkers, to people that you know in our community. Maybe add them to your prayer list. Maybe you don't know exactly where they are with Christ right now. Pray for them. That the doors of opportunity will be opened like the doors of opportunity was open there for Jesus with Zacchaeus. And the same result can be experienced in your life and in your friendships that we too will be able to share Jesus and that they will be saved by the blood of the Lamb. See, the good news tonight, we all can be saved by the blood of the Lamb. Maybe there's one or more here tonight that need to make that step of obedience. Maybe you need to wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord in the water grave of baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. Or maybe there's others that allow the things of the world to distract them. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus and living the life that would honor him. Jesus is calling. God is inviting. Would you come? As together we stand and we sing.